Well, how many of you have seen at least one episode of the Chosen series? And uh, those that you have had know I'm not exaggerating. In my opinion, this is the best depiction of the life of Christ that I have yet seen. And uh, an opportunity is getting ready to uh, present itself this morning to you, how you can, uh, how you can be part of uh, the Chosen as well. I, I truly hope you'll take advantage of that. We'll talk more of that uh, in just a minute. Well, good morning, Gateway. And I, I guess I do... I need to introduce myself because I'm sure nine out of every ten of you have no idea who I am, and you're not missing a thing, so don't worry about that. But uh, I'm actually a a little tyke that grew up in this church. Uh, This church started on November 21st, 1956, and I I know that date well because one month later, I was born. And uh, we lived out on 4th Uh, 4th Street, right beside the railroad tracks there, and uh, Dad and Mom decided it was time to get the kids in Sunday school. Dad, having a Baptist background, they they let us walk or walk with us to the Baptist church here nearby and uh, go to Sunday school, but Mom and Dad thought they needed to get into church too, so they, they caught us after Sunday school, and we were going to plan to attend the morning worship there. And Dad says, this is a story I can't remember, I was four years old, Um, but Dad says, uh, having a family of six, there wasn't an open pew large enough anywhere in the auditorium where you could get the whole family to sit together, and Dad and Mom were timid, been a long time since they'd been in church, and and so they gave it up, and we were on our walk back home, Mom and Dad, and four little ducklings behind them, and we were coming around the corner of church in B Street. And those of you that remember the old church, that's where the, the Gateway Church of Christ began in an old uh, Methodist building, I believe, and uh, had these corner steps that came up from the sidewalk that you had to walk around that corner. And Dad and Mom we, and us four, we were walking around the, the corner, and there was a gentleman at the top of the steps. His name was Keith Fisher. And Keith Fisher was there to answer Dad's question. Dad looked up and said, hey, do you have any room up there? And Keith said, room, all we've got's room. This is a brand new church. It's an empty, empty building inside. And uh, from that day on, the Gateway Church of Christ was my home congregation. Um, we ended up moving out of the county, out on Browns Creek at the top of Coal Mountain, if some of you are familiar with that. And we lived about 200 yards across the county line. So I went to Hurricane Schools. I'm a redskin. I hope that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, but... Uh, we got spirit, we're alive, we're the class of 75, you know. Uh, now, I married a red dragon. Uh, Lynn Nutter at that time was the oldest of Jim and Pooja's daughter here in the church, and so I, I'd always see Lynn on Sunday morning. She sat in the front row of the choir loft, this beautiful little blonde-haired girl. Of course, I was coming to church to see Jesus, but it didn't hurt to see Lynn there as well. And uh, I got to, to meet her, and we got dating, we, we got married. And in 75, we left for Bible college for ministry, and I've been able to spend the last 46 years in Christ, full-time Christian ministry, and I would do it all over again. In a, heart, in a heartbeat, I would do it all over again if I had a heart that could take it. A cardiologist said, no, you gotta, you got to stop this. And so now we're retired, and we get to come back home. And I want to thank you. I truly, I want to thank you for having the home church to come back to. You know, there are a lot of folks that were raised in a church somewhere or another and was baptized in those congregations and were married in those churches and buried their loved ones, you know, in those churches. But those churches 
don't exist anymore. They, you know, they closed up. They went out of business. And you guys not only stayed in business, man, you, you made a big business out of this. When we left Gateway, it was just a, a little corner church out there. We had about 180 on Sunday morning. It was a, it's a healthy congregation. It, but Urban Renewal took that, and you guys, after we left, moved into the Gateway Shopping Center for a short time. Some of you may be old enough to remember that. And then came back over here and, and built a building here next door. And after that, built a fine facility here. And, and we love the place, but uh, I got to tell you, we love what you've done to the place. And that is you brought hundreds of people into here, hundreds. And I am, I am so thankful for that. And uh, because I don't know you is, is not a regret on my part. That's a wonderful thing to see all the new folks uh, that are in the home church. I hope to get to know you in time to come because we are now home again. Well, Max Licato introduces a book that he wrote back in the 90s with these words. He says, when I see a flock of sheep, that's exactly what I see. I see a flock. A rabble of wool, a herd of hooves. I don't see a sheep. I see sheep. To, to, uh, to me, that's what I see. They all look alike, none different. But not so, he says, with the shepherd. To, to the shepherd, every sheep is different. Every face is special. Every face has a story. Every sheep to the shepherd has a name. The one with the sad eyes, that's droopy. The other fellow with one ear up and the other ear down, I call him Oscar. The small one with the black patch on the right leg, he's an orphan with no brothers, I call him Joseph. The shepherd knows his sheep. And he calls them by name. Now Max goes on to say, when we see a crowd, that's exactly what we see. We, we just see a crowd uh, filling a stadium or flooding a mall. When we see a crowd, we see people, not persons, but people. We see it a herd of humans, a flock of faces, but not the shepherd. To him, every face is different. Every face has a story. Every face is a child. Every child has a name. The one with the sad eyes, that's Sally. The old fellow with one eyebrow up and the other eyebrow down, that's Harry. The young one with a limp, he's an orphan with no brothers. I call him Joey. The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows each one by name. And he knows you. He knows your name and he will never forget it. I have written your name on the palms of my hand, the Lord says. Your name. You have searched me and you know me, David says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, the Lord says to his prophet Jeremiah. 
And this morning, we're going to take a look at another individual who's going to see the same truth in hopes that you and I will see it too. And by seeing it, we'll discover just how intimately the Lord knows us. And after knowing us, he still loves us just the same. Now, we begin a new four-week series that we're calling The Chosen based on this life of Christ depiction from the Gospels. And we'll be showing the, the first season of The Chosen each week this month at each of the church campuses. Sunday evenings, beginning tonight, um, Tays Valley and Beckley will be watching The Chosen. Tomorrow night, Monday evening, here, we'll be watching at St. Albans. And then Wednesday evenings at Marmette. I really hope you're able to join us because I found this to be the very best depiction of the life of Christ I've ever seen. And my wife and daughter just loved it. I, I got to tell you about it. They, uh, they try to wait until I could watch it with them. Sometimes, sometimes I couldn't keep up with them right now. I think I'm on episode five of season two uh, right now. But my wife and daughter just love it. And I really like the backstories of some of the biblical characters that met Jesus in the Bible. I love, I love the backstory of Matthew, the tax collector, and uh, how Jesus may have been preparing him all his life to write the gospel, the first gospel in our New Testament. When I, when I saw that, I thought, wow, who would have ever thought that? It was amazing, but I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I hope that you get, to, you get to see it too. But it, it's amazing to think how God had known all these individuals and loved them and chose them to follow his chosen son, Jesus. I hope, I hope you'll join us. Now, if you've already seen the chosen, I, didn't, I encourage you to, to invite a friend, see it again with them. It may be life-changing for them. But if you've not seen it yet, oh my, have, have you got a delight waiting on you. I really hope, I truly, really hope that you'll join us in watching The Chosen and see Christ again as the chosen one of God, Christos, the anointed one, the chosen one, the fingered one, Homo Mashiach, the separated one that God chose to save the world from our sins. And um, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful thing that, that could be for you or for your friend. The person we've chosen to look at this morning can be found at a Samaritan well in John chapter 4. If you'd like to read along, it'd be well worth it. It's kind of a lengthy reading. Uh, I think it'll be on the screens as well. But there, uh, John says that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea in the south and he went back once more up to Galilee in the north and he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. If that's Jewish time, that's noon. If it's Romans reckoning of time, it's 6 p.m. But it's been after a hard, long day's walk. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. And the Samaritan 
woman said to him, you're, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus knew that, and he answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you have said you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim in Samaria, in competition with Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where the Jews' temple were. Our fathers told us to worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship... What we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared. The first self-declaration of Jesus recorded in Scripture. I who speak to you am he. And from there, John will tell us how in one single day, this woman went from not knowing Jesus at all to full amazement as she runs back into her town and brings the whole village out to meet Jesus as well. Now, how does this happen? One morning, a woman wakes up, and some scholars say she waits her turn to go out to the village well to fetch water, choosing to face the heat of the sun rather than the judgmental smirks on the faces of all the other water-bearer women. And there she meets a man 
a Jewish man at that, a man she didn't know, a man she had never met, and he's waiting for her at the well. A man who knew her full well was waiting for her at the well. And you and I are left to wonder if that's not the reason why Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Not because there weren't any other routes between Judea back to Galilee, but because there was someone Jesus knew who needed him in Samaria and a whole village of other someones who needed him as well. That's the reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment that day in Samaria. And it's a touching moment in uh, that series, The Chosen. There was a brief moment in your promo this morning where you you saw the woman at the well and, and she suddenly realizes that Jesus has been planning to talk to her, waiting for her at the well to come to her so that she would... Go back in as this ambassador into the town and bring them out to him as well. And, and tears are just flowing from her eyes when she, who thought she was totally forsaken, all hope gone, my life not worth living, but she had an appointment with the Savior of the world to bring her village out to him. And she turns around in tears and amazement. I've got to go tell the people in town. Jesus says, I know. I know. That's why I came. I made my wife and daughter cry. Now, of course, I'm a man. I'm too big to cry. Men don't cry. Every once in a while, something gets in our eye, and we've got to kind of wipe it out a little bit. But, you know, we, we don't actually break down uh, and cry. But uh, this woman didn't know who Jesus was. Didn't have the foggiest idea. Didn't know how much she needed him. Didn't know anything about his offer of forgiveness for the way she'd been living. His willingness to extend acceptance and a second chance. She didn't know about his grace and mercy, hadn't asked him for anything, hadn't received anything. But before the morning was over, she'd been so captivated by this man and by her experience with him, how he talked to her and what he said to her, that she was willing to freely give her testimony with the whole village. And her testimony became the means by which a whole lot of other people experienced God's love and grace, people who didn't know Jesus before this, who didn't know about his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and how Jesus had chosen them as well to be his own. The Bible says, in this woman's forgetful excitement, she left her water jar and the woman went back into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Now, all Jesus really told her was she'd had five husbands and the man she was living with was not one of them. And she said, that's a pretty good summary of it. All that I ever did. Could this man be the Messiah? 
And they came out of the town. They made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became followers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now I'm a gateway boy from a long time ago. And uh, in the old Gateway Auditorium, on the back wall, was the light of evangelism. How many old Gateway folks we have can remember? Anyone here remember the light of evangelism? Very interesting. We only had about a half a dozen of us in the, in the early service, but the, the original Gateway building on Church and B Street that I, I told you about in the back had this little porcelain fixture, much like you'd probably have one in your... Uh, in your clothes closets or something, a little drawstring on it, nothing fancy about it, no shade, no globe, just a bare light bulb standing in the back of the, of the auditorium. And above it, someone had written in, in arched lettering, light of evangelism. And we would all volunteer in the congregation to keep that light burning, keep the light on. And the way you would do that is uh, on, on Sunday night, we'd ask for volunteers in the congregation that someone would bring a loved one, family member, friend, neighbor, co-worker. Someone would bring a visitor to church next Sunday night and help us keep the light of evangelism burning. There, there were years sometimes when we kept that light on all year. That every Sunday night, with all of us volunteering, someone brought someone to hear the good news about Jesus, and they got the privilege of pulling the drawstring, turning on the light of evangelism on. We actually had two people in an early service this morning who came up to me afterwards and said, I was one of those guests that helped keep burn the light of evangelism on. Think about this woman for just a minute. This woman brought her whole village to Christ all in one get-go. And you would think if there had ever been a list of least likely people to do it, this woman would have been on it. Who'd ever thunk that this woman would ever follow Jesus? No less bring her whole town into following Jesus as well. Think of all the barriers that were standing in the way of this woman from ever following Christ or ever bringing anyone collectively to Christ as well. Look at the racial prejudice that she had to overcome. Now, racial prejudice is something we should understand in our time, right? We, we almost burn our country down. I'm praying it doesn't all start right back up here again in another week or two. But in New Testament days, racial prejudice was worse, way worse. There was a holy hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. It was politically correct in those days for Jews and Samaritans to openly hate one another. Of course we hate one another. And they could easily explain their reasons for it. On one occasion, we're told... Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. We don't have the name of it. 
But he went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Jesus sent uh, preparers, ambassadors in front of him. He's going to visit this village. You've got Jesus, the miracle worker, uh, coming to your village. And the, and the Bible says, but the people there, the Samaritans there, did not welcome him. Not even Jesus. Not in our town. Because he was heading to Jerusalem. They did not welcome Jews. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, Jewish James, Jewish John, when they saw the way these Samaritans treated their master, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? What disrespect they showed. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. And we ought to thank the Lord that that tragedy was averted. And this, you didn't invite a guest speaker to tell you the story how James and John called down fire from heaven and burned a whole Samaritan village for Jesus. Instead, we can thank the Lord that when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, things went better. But they started off on the wrong foot. Because when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan and, and a woman to boot. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And that Greek word that's translated associate in our tra translation this morning... That Greek word is a compound word that literally means to handle together. To handle together. Some translations translate to associate with, to handle and do things together. But it, it could very well be translated, they don't touch the same utensils. Jews don't touch what Samaritans touch. No less drink after them. Racial prejudice could have shut this whole con conversation down between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. And that could have been the end of the story. Jesus went on to another village. Strike two, another Samaritan village that doesn't want Jesus. But there was also religious confusion that this woman was going to have to break through. The woman says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, a competing mountain to Mount Zion, where the Samaritans built their own temple in competition to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And our ancestors, she had been told from a little girl, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She's going to have to get through this confusion the way she was raised. 
Well, folks, where where God is worshipped is about as important as which campus you worship at this morning here as part of the Gateway Church. St. Albans, Stage Valley, Beckley, Marmette. How important is it which one of those you worship in? It's not where. Or whether you sing out of a hymn book or off the screens. How important is that? No. This is confusion. What is happening here can blind us to what is happening there. This is the spirit we're to worship in. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says the time is coming and has now come. He is standing right in front of the woman. I'm here. The time has come when worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and truth. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's so easy to grip up in all this and not that. The proper place of worship almost kept this woman from seeing Jesus standing right in front of her. Amazing. Seeing Jesus who knew her and loved her and wanted her. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because... He first loved us. And there Jesus was standing right in front of her with his arms open wide. And she almost missed him because of the religious confusion she had been raised in. And there's a whole lot of religious confusion out there today in our world as well. People who believe anything and everything and crazy things and sometimes nothing. But it's the way they were raised. And they have to break through that barrier before they'll be seeing, before they can see Jesus, who knows them full well and loves them and wants them to come to him. This one was able to break through her religious confusion that was clouding her mind and keeping her from seeing Jesus for who he was. And perhaps the greatest barrier she had to overcome was a regretful past. regretful past that could have gotten in her way and kept her from being saved. A lot of people struggle with this. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there are some people who, who have sinned more than others. This woman had had five husbands, and the man she was currently living with wasn't one of them. And she knew that. But what she didn't know was that Jesus knew that too. And he loved her anyway. He wanted her anyway. For her sake and for all the town that she'd be able to bring to him that way. Now, Jesus didn't avoid the difficult conversation. And that still is a difficult conversation today. There are people that are struggling in all kinds of live-in and marital situations that 
they, they, they really struggle with following Jesus because what are they going to do about this part of their lives? It, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real struggle for them. And sometimes we just avoid that conversation. But Jesus... Jesus had the difficult conversation, but he included in that conversation the fact that God still loves people, even people with a regretful past. And he calls people to leave the past, to bury the old person that they have been, and to rise out of a watery grave, a new person in Christ. And if you've never been baptized into Christ, I'm sure there's someone here who will wait and talk with you after the service this morning about how you can begin your new life in Christ today. I know Joel will be waiting on one wing, and, and I'll, I'll try to be waiting on the other. But don't let any barrier keep you from seeing Jesus, how Christ loves you. He, he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he still wants you. He can change you. You can become his chosen you can bring a lot of folks to Christ. Don't let barriers keep you away. Now, Christ helped this woman at the well in our text this morning. And he did it by first giving her hope. He started with hope. Someone has said, you can live three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without air, but not three seconds without hope. And I don't know if that's true, but I do know that for a lot of people, a hopeless life is just not worth living. And they just give up. And that may have been how this Samaritan woman at the well felt this morning when she came to the well. Hopeless. My life's hopeless. But it's not how she felt when she left because Jesus at the well had given her hope. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Life's not over. It's barely begun. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, she might not have understood the kind of water that Jesus was talking about, but she was starting to realize that the way things are are not the way they have to remain. You understand how that makes hope begin springing eternal? Someone who thinks it's hopeless... They're on the bottom looking up, and that's where they're going to live and die and have their being. No. The way things are are not the way they have to remain. And that gives this woman hope. If if you're living in what could be a regretful past, I hope you start to hear Jesus say, there is hope for you as well. He has not marked you off. He still loves you. He still wants you. His arms are open towards you. And he wants you to come. Whosoever will. 
One of the last verses in the Bible. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Now, Jesus doesn't avoid honesty. He doesn't avoid being honest with you or with this woman for the way she'd been living. Jesus puts it right out there. He, he said, go call your husband, knowing full well she had no husband to call. She'd had five, and the man she was living with wasn't one. And Jesus doesn't shy away from that. But Jesus doesn't do that until he first had given the woman hope. Hope first. Give hope to the hopeless first. This woman already felt hopeless enough. She didn't need some man she'd never met in her life coming to town to beat her over the head with the Bible and said, you know that seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit. She didn't need to hear that from him. She didn't need someone to condemn her for her sins. She needed someone to save her from them. And Jesus gave her that hope she could be saved. Hope first. And then honesty. That's what Jesus gives. And in return, when we receive his forgiveness, when we're wrapped within his embrace, we give him our heartfelt worship. We become true worshipers who from now on will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's what we pray this woman gave. It's what it appears her fellow villagers gave. What will you and I give Jesus today? Will we fall in love with Jesus, who has already fallen in love with us? God's people said, amen. We'll close with what Jesus said to the woman at the beginning of the conversation. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew. Jesus knows you. question is, do you know him? What barriers are there in your life that are keeping you from knowing Jesus? A Jesus that knows you intimately and he still loves you just the same. And he wants you to come into his embrace. Stand and pray that whatever barrier you have keeping you from Jesus would be removed this day. Lord, thank you for uh, choosing your son to come into our villages and sit by our wells and have appointments with those of us who would meet him there. Already knowing us, the sinners that we are, and yet giving us hope that we could be forgiven. 
so that we could go back in town and bring others to meet this Jesus who knows them and loves them just the same. May someone come to Jesus today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people say